What's going on, crew? This is Brandon Gredler, and you're now listening to Cocktails and Questions. This time around, back again was Ben Gaddis and James Lanyon as we're rounding out 2017 because it's the beginning of December, which means it's already next year. Looking back at everything we covered in 2017, we covered a lot of fun stuff, but we didn't cover what we talked about in this episode. This episode, we talked about blockchain. Things went crazy in the valuation of Bitcoin, a couple others. We looked at the life and death of the cable box. And speaking of American traditions, we took a look at Black Friday and Cyber Monday. And what were some of the trends that we saw this year that had us feeling all sorts of ways? We also tried to pin down exactly how old our James Lanyon is. He's recanting stories about how he would go to the movies for pennies on the dollar of today's prices, but also admitted that he cannot wait to go home and play more Star Wars Battlefront. So tune in and drink up. This is Cocktails and Questions. Mr. Gaddis phones away while we press record. Just kidding. Welcome back. Uh, Cocktails and Questions podcast. 10 or X, if you will, if you're How, how do you spell that? Um, E-C-H-S-S. That, that works. Yep, that makes okay. sense. Etches. Cool. Etches. Uh, cool, cool. Um, and first of all, happy Thanksgiving. Hope it was a good one. Yeah, happy holidays. Hope you enjoyed terrible turkey, because if it were any good, you'd eat it more than once a year, is what my hypothesis is. Um, which means Thanksgiving's come and gone. December's around the corner, which means it's essentially next year, 2018 two years from 2020. But before we get there, I wanted to uh, look back on 2017. So we've done 10 of these podcasts. We've talked a lot um, about some really important core technologies and expressions of things that we think are going to change the market. And three things came out for us that, that one, we didn't cover, and two, they're kind of timely, right? Um, and they shaped 2017 sort of at large. They dominated a lot of the headlines, but really they're just timely um, at this point of year. Th- those things are, uh, one, blockchain. What did it do? Um, two, the way that uh, what we've come to know as Black Friday, what happened to that? And three, how we are entertained at large, right? Um, so Ben, you got some interesting stats and facts about what just happened with uh, not only blockchain, but Bitcoin in particular? Yeah, it's been an interesting day in blockchain, but Bitcoin particularly. Uh, yesterday, Bitcoin was up, what, to 11000 A little over bit over $11,000. 11, I sold today, it 400 <laughs> Nicely done. Thank you. And, uh, today, down to $9,000. So a uh, lot of volatility in the market, but we've seen this currency absolutely take off. Coinbase is signing up 50,000 users per day. Jamie Dimon hates it. Goldman loves it. Maersk is using it to really revolutionize blockchain, to, to revolutionize the way that shipping and logistics is happening. So we know this is a massive technology, but the question everybody has is where the hell is this thing going? Is it real? Is it all a Ponzi scheme or what? I mean, what do you think, James? And, and before you get into it real quick, can sure. you give like a seven second version of what blockchain is? Just So blockchain so, is a byproduct of Bitcoin, right? It's a technology that came out of Bitcoin. And while everybody was kind of making fun of Bitcoin at first, some very shrewd people looked at the underpinnings of sort of the system it works on, and it's essentially what's called a distributed public ledger, right? So it keeps a system-wide record of transactions um, in a very sort of lateral sense, like what happened, um, what's about to happen, and so you can actually go and have a complete transparent record of all of the different things that have happened in a particular instance. So does that does yeah, that sound right? Thank you. All right, good. So um, I love the story, right? Because very rarely do you see a hybrid 
um, sort of flaky technology story and like foundational technology story all wrapped up into one. You know, like you very rarely see that. Usually it's like some stupid propeller on a beanie that got $100 million in funding or some sort of overlooked amazing thing. And we actually have both of them. Um, and when I look at blockchain, right, I think about all of the good it can do. Uh, and I think about the idea of how it could essentially uh, eliminate corruption. Right. You, you think about the, the opportunities. I think blockchain should scare some very bad people. Um, and, and I also think that there's a lot of creative uses of it coming onto the marketplace right now, which I really like. But it's not as interesting to talk about as Bitcoin. Like you mentioned earlier, $11,000. And that's my favorite topic because we are in the middle of tulip mania right now. I'm not sure if everybody's familiar yeah. with tulip mania. Um, there's a wonderful book uh, everybody should at least thumb through if you uh, still go to a Barnes & Noble. It's a book called Extraordinary Popular Delusions and the Madness of Crowds. And it is a compendium of all the times that people have just lost their shit, um, taken, fl fled from common sense, and put all of their most precious resources into an inexplainable mm. scenario. And that's what we're seeing right now. Sounds good. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but I look at it, and I think the, the thing for me that really kind of tipped the situations had wasn't that... Block, or I'm sorry, Bitcoin went over $11,000. The headline was, Dow surges 256, Bitcoin goes over $11,000. So what we're looking at right now is the end result of all of this global monetary liquidity. There's just a shitload of money that needs to be put somewhere. So much so that the equities market, the stock market's no longer enough. Bonds are not enough. Stock market's not enough. So people are putting it into these very speculative cryptocurrencies. And that's having some sort of pre-2008 effects. Um, I read earlier that um, now, I, I don't, can't remember if it's Goldman or whom, but there's a trading desk that will now allow you to speculate or swap derivatives on Bitcoin, right? So you can yep. actually go and speculate on it like they were the housing uh, scenarios. That, that was really fucking horrifying to me, to be honest. Um, but I look at it, and so again, like I talked about, blockchain I think could actually be sort of a savior technology, at least until quantum computing comes around. Bitcoin, on the other hand, could be the end of us all. Um, so it relates which side of the coin you care to look at. Uh, which coin? Right, that, that the, the proverbial coin. coin. The Bitcoin. I, well, I, think, I think it's interesting, man. So to your point about the 5,000 signups a day on, on Coinbase, um, do you guys invest in any cryptocurrencies? I don't. Okay. Not yet. Okay. All right. So, I'm going to buy some Bitcoin because I feel like yeah. it's just at the bottom of the market right yeah, now. Yeah, just right now. Yeah. Just right now. Um, but I, I knew uh, it was in bad shape. Or not in bad shape, but I could kind of tell where it was going because you started to see Coinbase uh, trending on the App Store. So that, and then all the way to today, the top three trending apps were all um, exchange markets for cryptocurrencies. And I was like, oh shit, <laughs> like that is a flood of people. To your point, James, about investing in things they don't fundamentally understand. Right, like Warren Buffett's always like, I don't invest in anything I don't get. Right, right. I get railroads. I get bricks. I bought Dairy I Queen razors because right? I like burgers and dilly bars. I, yeah, like this is standard shit, right? Um, but people are like, what's this headline? Three clicks later, they're now doing it. Um, so that's a good and a bad thing. I think anytime you lower access to anything is a good thing. Now, what the results of that are and what you do with that access, that's a different sort of story. But the other thing, too, is it, they've made it um, fractional, meaning they've taken so you know things like acorns. They take your... They round up in your U.S. dollars and they mm -hmm. invest in um, portfolio funds, S&P, and you can sort of um, adjust from conservative to ultra aggressive and, and so on and so forth. Um, and that's a little bit of what this market is, because I can't you can't just go out and buy a fraction of Berkshire Hathaway stock. 
doesn't work like that. But you can go out and buy a fraction of a Bitcoin, right? You, you can, can go buy a fraction of in an exchange traded fund. Right, but the, what I'm saying is the knowledge and access in order to do that oh, is for sure. pretty high. Yeah. The standard person can go to an app store and you can, within three to four clicks, you can hook up your mm -hmm. bank account or you can go to something like CoinFlash, which you just, um, you can put any credit card in there and does the same thing. What it will do is it rounds up, takes your change and you can either invest into uh, Bitcoin or Ethereum right now. And that's really simple stuff, right? And so I think that's part of what you're seeing is why this rise is coming, but... I mean, over 11,000, a couple hours later, as the other side of the world wakes up, back down to nine. But what, it's what still... do you guys see it topping out? Like, these things always top out, right? Like, is it 11,001? Is it 12,000? Is it 15,000? I'm not going to pretend to know where it's going, but two weeks ago, I did say for sure it's going to go over 10,000. And I said, when it does that, I'm going to do a certain behavior. And I didn't do it because I thought it was just fun. Uh, just to <laughs> watch oh, all the numbers come and go. So I don't, I don't know where it's going, man. Um, I, I do like the idea of uh, transparent distributed ledgers. Just at its core, I think that's great. But, you know, who has the best marketing? What catches on? I, so I are know. we having a conversation about the wrong thing? Uh, is Bitcoin, because the arguments that I've seen for from Jamie Dimon, from a lot of folks, are that is that Bitcoin doesn't actually have enough of a market capitalization to be even worth talking about. Yeah. Until all of a sudden it goes up to eleven thousand dollars, right? So when it, when it's at five, six, a thousand, you know, five hundred, six hundred a thousand dollars it may not now it starts to to top out at that level and all of a sudden it becomes more interesting the cryptocurrency market is going to be estimated at two trillion dollars in 2018 which yep. is a huge number all of a sudden that becomes very interesting so is bitcoin the right conversation or is blockchain the thing that we should really be talking about that's much more interesting well so blockchain is the thing you can account for right because you use a really keyword estimated Right. So you don't estimate market capitalization for an actual company. Right. There's an actual regulation body that says we know how many shares you have and we know what it's priced at. And as a result, even if uh, you don't file your quarterly documents, we can take a pretty good swing at exactly how much you're worth. Um, because we didn't let you put any more stock out than you have. You had to ask permission. That doesn't exist with Bitcoin. There's no right. regulatory body that says, we know how many Bitcoin are out there. So there could be six for all we know, right? There could be six billion. I, I have no idea. And so that's kind of the, the crazy thing for me about Bitcoin um, and why I, I think about it the way I do. There's two reasons I think about Bitcoin the way I do. One is what I just mentioned. Two is the fact that a lot of governments aren't cracking down on it. They don't see it as a serious threat to their monetary systems. They don't see it as a real thing. Now, whether or not that turns around and bites certain countries in the ass, I don't know. Yeah. Um, but, you know, you kind of you kind of take hints from what everybody else is doing. And so if you saw somebody other than Russia, who is basically a kleptocracy and Bitcoin could very well just be a place for Is that people. a buzzword? Kleptocracy? Kleptocracy. That is like a, is that, uh, that is an institution of stealing. I thought it was people run by people who have the clap. No, the kleptocracy. <laughs> kleptocracy is what you're okay. talking about. Kleptos okay. with the clap. <laughs> Got it. Yeah, but, uh, <laughs> but uh the the countries that 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 or the one country, Russia, that is actually actively just um, sort of discrediting Bitcoin. Well, of course, probably because they've got a shitload of their money like stashed in it or they see it as a means by which to have somebody else steal their money, but right? That's, that's part of the problem with, with Bitcoin at large, right? So as, an, as a nation state, they're barely getting stable if you even want to apply that word to it. Mm -hmm. and, and Bitcoin itself is unstable. Right. And so I think people will ignore it until two things happen and they, they have to happen sort of simultaneously. One, uh, which I think this this price surge might actually be that with enough people signing up, because a lot of folks do commerce in various forms of uh, 
cryptos, but not a lot, not enough to make a difference. Once that happens, there will be a stabilization and they have to, they're like part and parcel. Right. And then wouldn't disagree, agree. Oh, I was, I'm sorry. You lost me because you made me think about IRS policy guidelines in Bitcoin. I was going to go look that up afterwards and see if such a thing exists uh, because that's a really great way yeah. to launder money. If you think about it, to like funnel your money through Coinbase. Well, it's Bitcoin. a lot of, we, we, before we pressed record, we were talking about the promise of the marijuana market going forward and they're not allowed to store their cash in banks because it's still federally regulated and they can shut down banks if they deem it illegal businesses. So they're actually turning to cryptocurrencies. One, a lot of the criticism of Bitcoin has been that it is a currency for drug dealers or nefarious activity. I mean, I think it wasn't Jamie Dimon, but somebody else on a, on a panel with him said that. That's some weed mania yeah. bullshit, but, though. Well, no, but it's, it's, it's because I don't think they understand it. What I'm most interested in is if you think about the future of Bitcoin and more particularly the future of blockchain, one of the things that it does is it actually makes banks not necessary. Correct. So banks are a middleman. Essentially sit in and protect your assets and they are the ledger. Mm -hmm. They say, That's true. this is the debit and this is the credit. When that becomes distributed across and available and transparent for everyone to see, they could go away. And I think that is where blockchain... It's going to put has, the service in financial service. Right? It is. You, ha you would have to have some sort of service because I'll tell you what does not have a lot of service right now, Bitcoin, because that right shit now. may just go away tomorrow. Oh. I mean, you check your balance and it's gone. That still, that scares me a little bit, yep. but that is what a bank is supposed to deliver on the whole value equation is going to get turned upside down. I agree. I couldn't so, agree more. So thinking about that, so we talked a lot about money. and Dirty, uh, filthy, delicious. Dirty, filthy, <laughs> criminal money. How, how much money is enough? Just a little bit more. Right. We all seem to have a bit more money, but why? What are we spending that money on, and why do we have a little bit more in our pocket this year? So um, when we think about what we're spending our money on, one of the things we're not spending our money as much on is uh, subscription television. You know, the headline that I um, really, really loved um, because it was so shockingly huge was 22 million people canceled their subscriptions this year. I am, I am one. Uh, you are one? I, no why, why did you do Zero that? Zero TV. Um, because of the, the, well, I don't want to blend some other things I'm thinking about, about like how I become enter entertained. But the, the reality is... Um, you can just grab a beer. Cocktails and questions, man. That's the title of the podcast. Um, go ahead and open that in the microphone <laughs> if you get a chance. Thank you. Um, uh, I did it because the, the exorbitant price for what I wasn't able to do. Like, so I, I came up in the days of when people would brag about how many channels they have. But the reality is you only watch one channel at a time. It doesn't really matter, right? And then even if you could flip between them, all of a sudden social media came about, my phone came about. All these other things came about. So now I'm paying multiples of hundreds of dollars when I am just stream things. I don't watch cable television. I refuse to be interrupted by commercials. I mean, I'm a brat when it comes to that. So cut them out. So you're making me very nostalgic because Bruce Springsteen had this song years ago called 52 Channels and Nothing to Watch. And it was sort of a complaint <laughs> on the modern condition. So you do 5,200 channels. Exactly. Still nothing I've, to I've watch. got, like, I, I, I think it's amazing. You know, the other thing we have to take note of is the significant decline in movie theater attendance. Right. So it's, it's one thing to talk about, you know, the television set and all that other stuff. But when you look at the worst summer in the history, in, I'm not history, I'm sorry, in the last 25 years was the headline I wrote, read the last 25 years, the worst summer for the movie theater industry. And so you have to ask the question, right? Is it that people are canceling their subscriptions or is fundamentally how people consume entertainment changing? And I think that's a pretty profound question, because if you 
think about it from that perspective, does that bleed off into things like sports, which we've also seen struggling? Um, and you know, you can blame it on Hollywood, and you know, they're only making great Avengers movies and all of that other stuff. But I think the question has to be asked: Is there something bigger going on well, that we should think I about? Think, I think there is, because for the longest time, the model was about content creation and drawing eyeballs to a certain type of content. If you look at the amount of video that goes over the web or that is available for people to look at today, it would take you 57,000 years to watch the amount of video that is on the internet just in one day. Not including what gets uploaded tomorrow. Exactly. That's just, to, that's yeah. just today. Yep. So the, the problem today is not a lack of content. It is that there is this overwhelming amount. And I look at Netflix, Amazon, I mean, when my wife and I are trying to watch something and our biggest challenge is we can't figure out what to watch. To me, the new value equation becomes how do you figure out what I want to watch, what I care about and weed out all of the noise. And what TV has done is they've just added channel after channel after channel Correct. on their own terms with advertising in an interruptive model and haven't given me any control other than the DVR, which is really just something that I'm using to get around their shitty interface. Mm -hmm. So if Netflix or Amazon or fill in the blank here can reshape that model yep. and give me things that I only have 13 minutes of time to watch. So they curate that catalog down to the exact thing that I'm going to be able to watch in 13 minutes that I'm going to love. That to me is the future. But and all the traditional players today, I don't think they're even thinking. I about mean, that. I mean, these two, these two things, like the fact of how many people are uh, cutting their, essentially their cords, if you will, that really only means cable TV and then simultaneously not going to movies has to do with distributed powers of creation, I think. And, and what Netflix has done is just to use them as a, you know, a catch all for streaming media services. Right. But they're, they're sort of the Kings in, in original content right now. And what they've done is they've taken the production value that is usually rele relegated to Hollywood and, and big studios, which don't really want to talk about them too much right now. They're in a, whole world of hell but you are getting in your living room what you used to have to go pay eleven dollars a ticket and eight dollars of popcorn actually a lot longer format right it's not they're not beholden to these two-hour things you've got you know in one series i just finished the punisher series holy shit dude i just jammed mist the mist, mist was great. great like i it's mean great that i mean we're talking about things that you used to take years to make and they're only in the box office for a couple months. Now you can stream it whenever you want on demand. And so th that ability to be entertained at home, I think is leading to both of those simultaneous things happen. Hey, but you know what I love about this? Um, and this is actually, we talked a little bit earlier about sort of the crazy story with blockchain and Bitcoin. I think the great story about entertainment right now is how a lot of this is forcing traditional entertainment providers to up their game and innovate, right? And even in like, maybe they may be smaller ways, but um, uh, the advent of the sort of like uh, recliner lounge movie theater, like the movie house and eatery or the IPIC cinemas of the world are forcing the incumbent movie theater companies to go and create, you know, reserve your ticket ahead and on top of it, a recliner experience. Um, Alcohol's being served, you know, so it's no longer like $9 for Twizzlers. Now it's like $18 for a Blue Moon, $9 for Twizzlers. But still, $18 like, beer but people, It's forcing change in what has otherwise been a very, very, very slow to adapt. Well, I mean, Industry. I think we'd be uh, out of out of line or, or mistaken if we didn't bring up this medium and podcasts as well. Um, and you start you start to look at like cinematic podcasts, um, like Serial or Dirty John. These things where you start to follow through these stories that are completely um, audio based, 
um, and they actually take away from any sort of visual format, right? So you can move around and you can, you can kind of hang out and just be entertained. Because you have a shelf life of entertainment. You only do so many things at a time. And when I think back to your question about why I cut the cable, it was actually after I bought my AirPods because I could walk around my apartment untethered to my device and mm-hmm. be entertained by either an audiobook or a podcast. So what it did is it took how I defined being entertained or occupied and completely changed that landscape. You remember when Mark Cuban a couple of years ago, he's always trying to get out ahead of stuff, right? And he was like... Uh, He's trying to make a play for disruption in the entertainment industry. He's like, we're going to make a movie, and we're going to release it online and on DVD and in the theater and on TV at the same time. And it was a noble gesture, but even then you could just look at it and go, well, I can think about three things I can strike off that list if you're just going to stick it on my TV in my home. Because in reality, a lot of content isn't really worth getting out of your house for. So one summer, I was kind of a latchkey kid. My brother and I were latchkey kids. Uh, My parents both worked. And my mom used to leave... Uh, a little bit of money for us in, in the kitchen, right? She'd, like, she'd go drop my youngest brother off at daycare, and then my brother Mark and I, we were like, well, don't burn down the house. You guys are old enough to know better. Here's $10, $15. So I, I kid you not, one summer we saw Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom in the theater, in the Highland Park Village Theater, 36 times. Because there was nothing else to do. We literally would just go and hang out. But that, that's indicative of how little choice people had. There was three channels and there was movie theaters. Now it's everywhere. And it's really kind of laid bare the reality of what a lot of entertainment is, which is not great. She also didn't have the fear of social media being publicly shamed for being <laughs> letting her kids I think she wasn't the only one, right? So don't speak bad about my mom, Brandon. <laughs> So as we move from entertainment, uh, having more dollars around to uh, shifting the way that we spend those dollars, one of the big things that we're just coming off of is Black Friday. Yeah. Cyber Monday. Oh, goodness. Yeah. I mean, it's supposed to be uh, a turning point for every retailer, right? So Black Friday is the day that you actually become profitable, and it's what everybody talked about and looked forward to in the retail space. And even as online marketers have come into the game that's always been the deal then cyber monday pops up this year we saw a complete change in the way that people were spending and that actually spread out to what people are calling now gray november why is that happening i mean my gut reaction like before we press record we're kind of talking about it uh since cutting the cable i have a ton of money to spend man let's <laughs> <laughs> just spend all those cable loose pocket change. i mean it's gonna do one of two things either i'm gonna spend it or i'm gonna invest it in cryptocurrency <laughs> it's going somewhere um i don't know man i, I think i think the the luster to be honest with you um the market is a little bit more savvy on black friday um there's apps dedicated to telling you whether or not a black friday deal is, is worth a shit or not um you can actually figure out if now's the time there's a lot of research that shows that now is not the time um and patience and expectations you know, like you see the viral videos of people getting trampled in fights and the, the reality is just not just not worth it to brave the humanity in my mind um and also don't have to wait anymore, right? Like these Cyber Monday deals will be like, Cyber Monday, sale ends December 1st. I'm like, well, that's not Cyber Monday, is it? Well, and you even started to see that this year, a lot of retailers started to push their deals on Thanksgiving Eve, on the, yeah. you know, even before Thanksgiving and then on the night of Thanksgiving. Under the guise but of being nice to their employees exactly. and all this. Exactly. And, yeah. and then you look at the traffic in store, which haven't gotten official numbers, but from all accounts is down in terms of sure. people rushing in at 6 a.m. trying to get the best deal. But what's interesting to me is if you look at the actual numbers, so online shopping, Black Friday, $5 billion. 
Cyber Monday, $6.5 billion. Yep. That's pretty close. So yep. it used to be a much bigger disparity. And I think that's because the retailers have started to just spread those deals out across the entire piece. So are consumers losing out and are the deals not as good? Or is it just become that people expect that they should be able to get those deals anytime, anywhere? Well, you know, it's really interesting. So I, I had a bit of a turning point myself on Black Friday. It wasn't just an industry turning point. I got an Xbox One S for $189 at Best Buy. Um, no, but in reality, um, I think there's two things at play, right? One of which is savings, right? And there's things that you can save on that you're willing to wait for, and there's things that you can save on that you want right now. And I really do think that Black Friday store sales are things that you can save on that you want right now. Because I wanted that Xbox. I wanted to plug it in. I wanted to download Battlefront 2. I wanted to sit there uh, and play. And that's what I did. Um, to your point earlier, Brandon, you know, like Amazon had the exact same price point. Yep. I looked on Friday. It was two twenty nine on Amazon, uh, the same deal. Uh, and then over the weekend, it went down to one. I knew they were going down. But I wanted it now. If I were willing to wait, I was going to order it online. In reality... What we've seen is uh, the retail environment's really trying to up its game. You could tell. Like, I was standing there looking for this Xbox deal, and I went to the Xbox aisle, and I couldn't find it, and a young woman came over. She's like, are you looking for the Xbox? I'm like, yes, I am. She actually guided me over to where it was and then helped me find the register with the shortest line. So that's what retail is trying to do right now. It's trying to repurpose itself for something other than we have what you want. You were, know everybody you else. You profiled perfectly. I did. Like frantic, <laughs> middle-aged. Like, keep my looking for Xbox. I'm looking for an Xbox. I think it's pretty hard to profile James because I'm trying to figure out how old you are today. Is you just cited, I think you went to the movies 36 times for, for $15. And then, <laughs> and then uh, you're still buying. <laughs> and then all you wanted all you wanted for Christmas was the Xbox One. Bravo. A perpetual child. <laughs> Bravo. So you haven't grown up a bit. Yes, one one might say I'm still watching that movie. Never grow up. It's a trap. It's a trap. That's really funny. There's, there's two things about this whole like November thing that came out. And one, I've got to call back a little bit to our previous episode when I was educated on Singles Day. So, Huge day. So all together, like the numbers between uh, Friday and Monday being black and cyber respectively was around 11, 12 billion or something like that. Alibaba Singles Day, almost 26 billion. So that's one thing. The second thing kind of goes into the foot traffic pattern and why it's so spread out in a little bit of a generational shift. So millennials plus is kind of what they're called are just now entering like their peak earning years. So they earn more and they spend less than like anybody we've ever known. And they're more populous than anybody else. So um, just read some stats that was published by our boy, uh, Luke Rablewski. It's another shout out to him. Yeah. But anyway, um, 33% of sales on Cyber Monday were done on mobile. 37% of Black Friday were done on mobile. And on Thanksgiving, 30% were done on mobile. That means I don't need to go anywhere. I don't need to stand in line behind James in the shortest line because the shortest line is, is my internet connection. Mm -hmm. And you have to have the deals everywhere. Like the exclusivity, doors are blown off. And even if it's not, I'm still not going to go wait in line behind James. It's just not happening. You know, this is ridiculous, but I think it was five or six years ago I actually had this entire plan to buy everything for Christmas and holidays on my mobile device. Yeah. And I got written up. Like it was in multiple publications because I was trying to do this. Okay. To see if it was possible. <laughs> and it was this it was this task. And now you're talking about five billion dollars. 
37% of 6, or 33% of 6, over 6 billion, 37% of 5 billion, and 30% overall on Thanksgiving were all done on your mobile device. Yeah, and I think it's, uh, what, it's what it's done is it started to condition us to uh, almost make event-like purchases at smaller levels. So when you think about Singles Day, you think about Black Friday, you think about Cyber Monday, it used to be you would gear up. So my uncle, I don't know why, he, he Stre- wakes up. in the living room. I mean, he's seriously, he's like getting pumped up on, on Thanksgiving night. Playing play some Rockies. Yeah, he's, he's got his alarm set. And I was like, why the hell are you going to Home Depot at <laughs> 5 a.m. to buy a blower? I mean, there's you don't need that. But he's he's in there every year. And it doesn't, but it, you don't need to do that now. Instead... You're going to get these drip email campaigns and they're going to come out on Wednesday before Thanksgiving and then Thanksgiving morning. And then, and what it does is it just gives you this simple, Oh, you want You want that? Here's one click. And that has changed this need to just put everybody through this one door yep. at this one moment. And what I think retailers were scared about is that demand, that pent up demand would drive people insane and they would do crazy stuff. They would knife each other and fight over a, a Furby, you know, or <laughs> like it would just Xbox. be crazy. <laughs> but what we've shown is that just by conditioning them, we don't, we don't lose sales. We actually drive the overall market. Everybody, Amazon, eBay, uh, Wayfair had their best day. I mean, Wayfair said they were selling a rug every two seconds. I didn't even know there were that many rugs out there. Yep. That's so, bananas. so, uh, there's not, it's just the same rug cut into very small. Thinking pieces. about where retail needs to go though. Um, the answer is actually in the end of that blog post that I wrote that was so long that you made fun of it in front of everyone. That was amazing. That was like, I, I, I wasn't still even finished it. I, 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 but it talks about like the lesson for retail was actually coming from the entertainment industry. So let's jump back to our last point of discussion. The reason Netflix is thriving now isn't because it's personalized. Like there's a lot of personalized services and personalization algorithms aren't a dark science. It's because they're laying claim to the content as well as the channel, right? So when you think about Great. how they stay relevant with all of these two. So yes, they're personal and yes, they actually go, they've changed the delivery model uh, in terms of giving it to you all at once, which I think is a great thing, but they also make great content and that's forcing Amazon to kind of get in the content game with things like transgender and, and uh, catastrophe and all of that. But um, retail needs exclusive products things that you can't get anywhere, right? And things that otherwise you have to go to the store or at least buy on their site to get. Um, Even gaming does that, right? There are exclusive deals for games for PlayStation versus Xbox. And it's really kind of stunned me that retail hasn't figured that out yet. Yeah, well, I I think that's actually a perfect place to press pause because we just took a look back at 2017 and some of the gaps uh, that we didn't cover in the previous podcast. and then one coming up in the future, we got to predict 2018. So we'll save some of those thoughts there. We're on a tight 30-minute turnaround today. Uh, real quick, yes or no, it doesn't really matter. Do you have the most interesting thing this week, Mr. Gaddis? I do, and this is related it. to Bitcoin. I just saw this right before I walked in the door. There are rumors that as Bitcoin goes over $11,000, Elon Musk was actually yes. the mysterious inventor. I saw you it today took, for the first time. You took my most, dude. You took that my most it. interesting thing. All right, I'll come up with something else. If that turns yes. out to be true, I'm that's going to be, that, that will make fucking my love year. It. I love it, dude. I love it. it. Definitely not a drug addict, like I may have said last <laughs> time, because only sober people can come up with that concept. <laughs> Mr. Lanyon. The coolest thing I saw this week, was it this week? Is Deep Lens. Okay. Uh, Amazon Web Service, Deep yeah. Lens. What did I thought? 
Man, like, I don't mean to keep going I, back I to that one. well. I ordered one. Oh, thank you. It's coming. I can't wait to see it. Yep. The cool part about it was that it's actually, it's got a developer kit attached to it. It's for developers, right? And that was so smart. So the whole idea that there's a deep learning enabled video camera on the market that is going to let developers play with it, you're opening up a whole market. And when we actually had talked uh, about two years ago when we were working on a client in the mall space about a machine vision application that could actually monitor parking spaces and like give people wayfinding to where the parking was the best. Yep. This could do that, right? I mean, that's, it's got that character and optical recognition in it that can do that. So it's a bit of a game changer. I thought it was awesome. Cool. Um, those are both great. Seeing as how you stole mine mm. uh, and you talked about something that I ordered. Very excited. I think it gets here in April um, 2018. Jesus. Uh, the coolest thing I saw this week is the website that is under construction and on its way, cocktailsandquestions.com. That trumps not both of ours. Not dot org? Not dot biz. It's a guy. Dot, dot, dot biz. Dot biz. <laughs> dot net. Yeah. Dot AI. Um, it's, uh, it's coming, man. So um, take a look at that. Cocktailsandquestions.com will be up for you to uh, subscribe to our newsletter and to help you guys tell your friends uh, to rate, listen, subscribe, do all the fun things on iTunes. Uh, for James Lanyon, Ben Gaddis, Sound engineer Austin and innovation coordinator Carly. Uh, this is Cocktails and Questions. This is your friend Brandon Gredler. Until next time, be good. Thank you.